electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, a summit the world is watching. Mr. President of the Russian Federation, Mr. President of the United States of America, on behalf of the Swiss government, I would like to welcome you to Geneva, the city of peace. CNBC's Eamon Javers on the ground. So many issues for the two men to hash through to see if they can find any agreement. And New York Times columnist Tom Friedman. Vladimir Putin has been America's ex-boyfriend from hell. We really want to date other people. Uh, We really want to focus on China, but he won't go away. And from nonprofits to public office, the Robin Hood Charity's former CEO is aiming to take on inequality as a candidate for governor in Maryland. Wes Moore. What we saw with COVID-19 is that we saw not just an exposure, but an expansion of this really nefarious wealth gap that continues to persist within our society. Those stories plus Elizabeth Holmes heads to court and workers everywhere are headed back to the office. It's Wednesday, June 16th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Mike Santoli. Joe is off today, but Mike, it's good to have you with us. So Great to be down for being here. here. Yeah. yeah, we were just talking about you. how beautiful Times Square is <laughs> and uh, what a magnificent place this Absolutely. is. Absolutely. You see, they got rid of the porta potties, so we've got that going for us today. <laughs> Let's take a look at the U.S. equity futures because everybody is really on hold at this point, waiting to see what happens with the Fed. Dow is down by about 55 points. S&P is down by about three. The Nasdaq is up by close to 10. Points And this comes after a slightly down day for the markets yesterday. The Nasdaq was the biggest decliner yesterday, down by about seven-tenths of a percent. But again, people just waiting to see what happens with this Fed decision. Mike, what do you think the odds are that there's going to be like a snap of activity after after that meeting? I think there will always, there's always a snap of activity. The market's kind of being held in place just to see if uh, expectations are confirmed, that there's a little more of an acknowledgement that they're getting closer to this point where they have to kind of withdraw some of the bond buying uh, down the road. They have to acknowledge these hot inflation prints without necessarily saying it's anything but a temporary uh, blip. So I think that's where we're going. Um, the market has been unusually uh, just kind of, kind of fixed in like place. Summer, right? It's starting to feel like summer, lower yeah. volumes, uh, not a huge amount of activity. Exactly. But you mentioned the bond market, too. And let's take a look at where the Treasury market stands right now. This has been the really interesting thing to watch. Watch Interesting, like watching paint dry. But if you look at this, the 10-year note is sitting just below 1.5%, 1.489%. Brian Sullivan was talking earlier this morning about how maybe we saw a little bit of a temper tantrum or a taper tantrum uh, that took place earlier, maybe six months ago, when you saw the bond yields really move up at that point. Is that? Um... I think what you saw was, yeah, a crescendo of inflation panic. It wasn't so much taper. It was, is inflation really going to, you know, get out of hand to the upside? The numbers have only that really has subsided. Then. Yes, but I think everyone is looking at the one-off factors in there. Uh, and also, just it's an unusually huge bond move to go from half a percent to one and three quarters percent yeah. in a few months. That's just been kind of working its way off uh, that excess move. And I think that's part of the part of the deal. And there's just a lot of Liquidity everywhere, that includes to go into uh, treasuries right now. A lot of technical factors also people talking about. Less than expected treasury issuance. A lot less 
than we right. thought a few months ago because the Treasury is just kind of working down its cash balance. Right. How are you feeling today? Are you worried about getting an impartial jury? An update on the trial of former Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes. Jury's uh, selection is scheduled for August 31st. The judge will down her team's proposed jury questionnaire. They had 112 questions on the list, guys. Uh, 45 pages. They got it down now to 20 pages. One of Holmes' attorneys objected and made it clear the defense team is worried about finding jurors who don't have a bias in the case already, if they know about it. Holmes did win permission for breaks in the trial to nurse her newborn child. Due to be born next month, the judge said there will be a designated quiet room for Holmes to tend to her child during the trial. Holmes did not answer questions from CNBC as she walked into the courthouse. It'll be something I know lots of people will be watching. An update on the housing market with home prices at record highs. Demand for single-family rental homes is soaring. And so are the rents. Single-family rents were up 5.3 percent in April. That's the largest gain in nearly 15 years. Rents for single-family detached homes, as opposed to townhomes, were up even higher, 7.9 percent, as millennials in particular seek more outdoor space. The rise in rents came across all categories, although higher-priced homes saw the biggest percentage jump. The story in the Wall Street Journal today talking about how office workers are still staying home. You know, yep. everybody's back at the restaurants, stores are open, but right now, only about three out of ten workers, white collar workers, are back in offices in cities like New York, uh, San Francisco, right. uh, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C. That that has not really happened yet. And I gotta wonder if that's a, a function of the summertime or if that is going to change, uh, if, if this is just like the new work reality. Um, my guess is it's. Something that will change a little bit more as we get closer to the summer, to the end of the summer. Oh, I think there's a big move happening. There's, from what I know, there's a whole move afoot in certain parts of the country in early July, and then in terms of getting back to the office, and then there's going to be sort of a second push, which might even be bigger, post Labor Day. Now, whether that turns into five days a week, that that may not happen, but maybe it turns into three or four days a week. So I think that I think that, you know, give it two or three months, and you know, my my view is that by Christmas. Even the hybrid work thing is going to be over. I think we're going to be, you know, the world the world will back to a sort of four or five day a week situation. You know, it, it makes sense to me that this is a problem that is especially a problem in the urban areas because that's where it's more complicated. If you have to take um, public transportation, if you're trying to drive in and park. Mike and I were just talking, there's yeah. nowhere to park on the streets now because... All of the well, restaurants yes, have opened restaurants. up and taken over, up and taken over the spots that are there. So, if this is what it looks like with only three out of ten workers back, I can't imagine what it's going to look like when there are ten out of ten. Well, I, you know, whoever the next mayor is of New York City is going to have to deal with a very thorny problem of the restaurants. I think a lot of us New Yorkers love the restaurants out in the streets, but creates all sorts of issues with, with vehicles and parking and trash. You can't trash have four million people coming into the city so, commuting every day. So many other things. So we'll yeah, see. I, see, I, I, I see wonder what happens in those restaurant to... kiosks before 5 a.m. You know, before 5 right. a.m., those places are closed, but they're not empty. So think about that the before truth, you sit down in the, one of those the next time. The truth is, though, I desperately want the re This is an opportunity for a lot of the restaurants in New York City to get back some of the revenue that they that they lost during no, the, during the year. In part because it creates, in, in some cases, double or triple the amount of seating they used to have. So right. I don't think that anybody's going to really even address that issue till 
come fall 2022. I, I, I can't imagine anyone's going to even touch it well, till then. And then the question is whether the city is going to want to actually start to uh, effectively require rent for either those those places or require um, much more costly sort of build outs of these things for safety reasons and other things. So it, it's going to change, but we'll see. Well, there's, there is a faction, of course, Andrew, that says, hey, this did what we've been trying to do all along, which is de-emphasize right. cars in, uh, yes. in Manhattan. So we'll see if that lasts. Good luck with de-emphasizing commuters with that. And right. if, if it comes hand in hand, that's one thing. Next on Squawk Pod, the international summit we've all been waiting for. It is an honor and a pleasure for Switzerland to host you here for this summit. President Biden meets with Russia's Vladimir Putin. New York Times columnist Tom Friedman on the diplomatic agenda. I have no doubt that Biden does not intend to leave that villa in Geneva without conveying to Putin on the cyber issue in particular, that we will respond in kind and then some to further Russian hacks of our companies and our government system. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. And today we're taking you to Geneva, Switzerland for a moment in international diplomacy, a summit on the global stage between the leaders of the United States and Russia in a time of cyber attacks, election interference, and trade concerns. It all started during our TV broadcast this morning about lunchtime in Switzerland. Here's what that sounded like. President uh, Joe Biden arriving for his meeting with Vladimir Putin, the Swiss president uh, greeting him, and President Putin arriving just a short time ago. Mr. President of the Russian Federation, Mr. President of the United States of America, on behalf of the Swiss government, I would like to welcome you to Geneva, the city of peace. I want to get straight over to Eamon Javers with more. Eamon. Andrew, we don't expect the president to take questions here as he gets out of the beast on his way into the Villa Grange uh, here in Geneva. Vladimir Putin did a was asked a number of questions. Reporters on the ground are telling us that he was asked by reporters there who shouted questions at him as he arrived. How are you feeling, Mr. President? Will you come to any agreements? Why do you fear Navalny so much? Can you trust Joe Biden? What do you expect to accomplish here? Will you re release Navalny, his political opponent, who is in prison currently? Uh, Putin ignoring all those questions. You can expect our colleagues in the press corps uh, on site uh, will shout similar questions 
at Joe Biden here as he exits the vehicle. Uh, and we expect he will ignore those questions as well. But uh, you have to shout nonetheless. So as we see the arrival here, this is Biden uh, being greeted by the Swiss president, uh, who we do expect to see making a few remarks momentarily uh, as the president of the United States uh, poses here for a handshake and a photo op and a smile. What would you consider a win today, Mr. President? How are you feeling? On his way into what is going to be an intense four to five hours of negotiations uh, between himself and the president of Russia. We don't expect the two men to be alone together at any point. We do expect uh, translators and aides, foreign minister of Russia, the secretary of state of the United States, uh, to be in the room at all times uh, to monitor the conversation as it moves along. Uh, and we do expect that this will take several hours. But aides have told us, uh, Andrew, that uh, this is going to be free-flowing. There's no set schedule as carefully choreographed as this arrival is that you're seeing right now. There is no set schedule to the rest of the afternoon. It is uh, just after 1 p.m. here in Geneva. Uh, and they have the rest of the day now uh, to go through a series of issues on everything from cybersecurity, nuclear weapons, uh, dissidents and human rights, uh, the treatment uh, of people around the world, uh, the interference in, in foreign elections, so many issues for the two men to hash through to see if they can find any agreement, but low expectations uh, being offered by the Russian side and by the American side for any major breakthroughs here. We're not expecting them to sign anything at the end of this. We're not expecting to see any new treaties. Biden has said simply that he wants a stable and normalized relationship with Vladimir Putin. I have a very trivial question for you, Eamon. I noticed that handshakes okay, are back, Okay, I may back, not know the answer. Apparently. No, ha are handshakes back? Because I noticed during the G7, it was all elbow bumps, right? And then just, just now, yep. I, saw, yep. I saw a whole number of handshakes. Is it different in Switzerland? Handshakes are creeping in. I've got to say there's a lot more mask wearing here in Switzerland than there is uh, back in the D.C. area where they've already lowered a lot of the public mask wearing. Uh, people are wearing masks indoors here. Uh, you know, low-level interactions, there's a lot of awkward waving and hand clasping and bowing and stuff. People are still avoiding handshakes. But for the high-level things, the big set piece, the greeting of the guy who could be your next boss, all that sort of thing, uh, handshakes are coming back at the high end, and I think they're going to work their way. They're going to trickle their way down to the rest of us eventually. Okay. How will you pressure Putin today? Do you feel prepared, Mr. President? Will you find common ground? Tom Friedman, foreign affairs columnist for the New York Times, is with us this morning. I want to get your thoughts on this meeting that we're seeing take place in front of us live. Um, if you were whispering in the ear of President Biden right now, you'd be telling him what? Well, um, thanks for having me, Andrew. I'd be telling him are there really two things we need out of this meeting. Um, number one is to uh, let Putin know that if he um, uh, considers any more adventures in Europe, uh, Ukraine, uh, you know, Crimea, things like that, to boost uh, his popularity at home, to trigger the kind of nationalism he needs at a time of flying support, uh, he better think twice about that. That um, uh, the old guy, the Trump guy, he's not here anymore. And um, that we would, uh, you know, coalesce our allies to to uh, resist that. Uh, more important for America, though, is the second message uh, you'd want him to convey to Putin, um, and it's on uh, d deterring their use of you know cyber technology to attack our electoral system and our companies. And and there, I think uh, the most effective message would be for Biden to reach into his uh, you know breast pocket and and pull out transcripts of Putin's last ten conversations with his mistress. Um, uh, and, and let him know that um, we are on to him. Uh, we can uh, respond in kind and then some. 
and um, uh, and we will do so. That the other guy isn't there anymore. And um, those are the two things we need out of this summit. Um, most of all, all this other talk of happy talk about climate change and whatnot. Um, this summit is much more important for for Putin and his status at home than it is for us. But on these two deterrence questions, I think that's vital. Do you think the conversations actually happen like that? I, I, um, I, I yeah. ask completely seriously, which yeah. is to say, yeah. how, how do you have these what I imagine have to be very difficult, complicated discussions? You know, I, I've never been in one, so I can't can't say for sure. Although I've read about them, but uh, it, it may not be quite that blunt. But I, I have no doubt that um, Biden does not intend to leave that villa in Geneva without conveying to Putin on the cyber issue in particular, which is now kind of the nuclear missile issue of our age of the Cold War, on the cyber issue uh, that we will respond uh, in kind and then some to further Russian hacks of our companies and our government system. And, and when you think about the press conference that we're going to see a little bit later today, after however many hours this meeting takes place, I imagine there will be dueling press conferences with dueling versions of what happened and dueling versions of wins that come out of a meeting like this. How do you think we should reconcile that or think about that even in advance? Well, again, to be honest, Andrew, I think the whole thing's been overblown because we, we actually, other than those deterrence questions, there's not much we want from Russia. You know, Russia's main export, 52% is oil and gas. Um, all they really sell to the world is, you know, you know, I mean, that we are interested in is vodka, caviar, and Matryoshka dolls, all right? Um, 2% of Russia's exports are uh, computers, uh, you know, and advanced technology like that. I mean, do you, do you know anyone with a Russian watch or Russian computer? So, you know, this is a country that really has, has, has under Putin, thrown everything into, you know, basically drilling the ground and not unlocking the talent of its people. It's just not that much we have to discuss. The problem for us is that Vladimir Putin has been America's ex-boyfriend from hell. America's ex-boyfriend from hell. He just won't go away. We really want to date other people. Uh, we really want to focus on China, but he won't go away uh, because his relationship with us, his ability to say, I'm meeting as an equal with the American president, just like my predecessors did, is so important for building his flagging support at home. The ex-boyfriend from hell is one way to put it. Um, you mentioned China. Let's go there. You saw President Biden meeting with the other leaders of the G7, effectively to try to create some kind of leverage, if you will, against China. I'm curious how successful you think that will be. You know, I, I will tell you, in talking to uh, American business leaders um, uh, in, in recent weeks uh, who have been talking to their European counterparts, you know, there's still a lot of wariness in, in Europe um, uh, about where America is after the last four years of uh, being hit with um, uh, tariffs and whatnot. I think the most important part of this trip is what happened with Biden's meetings uh, at NATO and even more importantly, the European Union. The only way, Andrew, for us to effectively deal with China is with a coalition of all the major Western economies. You know, the Cold War was fought and won in Berlin with Russia. The Cold War with China will be fought and won with Berlin. in Berlin. What I mean by that is he, which side has the European Union centered in Germany with it is the side that will have the most leverage. Will the EU tilt toward China? Will it tilt toward us? That, that's still in more play you know, than, than I would be comfortable with. So I, I think that was very important, rebuilding that coalition so we can go to the negotiating table with China and say, let me introduce you to my allies over here. They're called Korea and Japan. Let me introduce you to my allies over here. They're called the European Union. And together, 
we're going to come at you in pursuit of universal you know, values, rules, and norms, I'm afraid. That, to me, is the key issue. Photo, photo next. Photo Swiss, that's him. Now you see President Biden along with Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Vladimir Putin along with his Minister of Foreign Affairs, Sergei Lavrov. Let's get back over to Eamon to hear a little bit more about what's happening here. Eamon. Yeah, what we don't know is exactly uh, what's going to be the format of all of this. We do know that they have some breakout sessions planned uh, and the two leaders will not be alone in the room at any time. There will be some translators and note takers there as well on both sides. Uh, but this is fascinating to get an inside the room glimpse now of the two leaders looking fairly casual. And this is going to be a huge contrast both in the United States and around the world of the photos that we saw of Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump, right? This is Joe Biden attempting to turn a page from the Trump era and the Trump relationship with Russia, which was certainly quite close. And I was there in Helsinki uh, when President Trump said that he trusted uh, Vladimir Putin's take on what had happened over the uh, U.S. intelligence community. And now we're hearing Biden and, uh, and Putin exchanging a few words of pleasantries here. This will be a very different feel in Geneva than what we saw in Helsinki. Hey, Eamon, we, we've set this up as a much more contentious relationship, but it is coming just after Biden uh, didn't block the pipeline that, over the Ukraine's objections for all of this. We, we talked to people earlier this week who said that this was maybe more of a gift to Germany than to Russia, but Russia still got its way. How do you kind of build that into this backdrop? Yeah. Well, there have been real uh, questions here about Biden's decision on that front. Uh, Biden acceded to the wishes of the Germans on the Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, the Russians clearly want that as well. It's seen as making uh, the Germans more dependent on Russian fuel and therefore uh, more susceptible to Russian manipulation. Uh, that said, uh, the Biden administration ultimately agreed to go along with what the Germans wanted on that front. The other big criticism of, of Biden here domestically in the United States going into this meeting uh, is that it's coming too early in his first term, according to the critics. They say that Biden hasn't carefully thought through exactly what he wants out of this meeting. So there are some stakes here in terms of domestic politics for Biden to prove that this was the right time for this meeting, that he can get something tangible out of it. Uh, and then some stakes on the world stage in terms of these negotiations, in terms of pipelines uh, and uh, troop movements, uh, cybersecurity, and all the rest of the issues that are on the table between the two men. Hey, Eamon, I don't know if you heard Tom Friedman, uh, but uh, in this last interview we had while, while you were waiting, but one of the things that Tom said is uh, that President Biden effectively should, should talk tough uh, with with Putin right there in the room. At one point, he said he even suggested that he should take out uh, effectively, uh, you know, transcripts of, of of phone calls with with Putin's mistresses. My question to you, as somebody who's covered cybersecurity for a long time, is how how does the president um, approach these things? Do they actually come with transcripts, not necessarily of mistresses per se, but of cyber crimes and other evidence? so that when potentially a Putin or another leader says we weren't responsible for that, they then lay it out on the table? How does that happen? How does that work? That's a really great question. And having not been in the room for one of these, I can't tell you exactly whether they've come prepared for, uh, you know, sort of the, the ultimate document dump, so to speak. Uh, but presumably, if Vladimir Putin, if he does have mistresses, U.S. intelligence would be interested in that and, and possibly aware of it. Um, but, you know, 
the behind the scenes conversation between the two might take place on a more high level than that. That is, that both sides have elaborate intelligence operations around the world. Both sides know sort of what the other side knows about each other. Uh, it, it may just simply be understood that the United States knows what the Russians are doing here. Uh, now, maybe for dramatic effect, Biden might want to put the evidence on the table, but each side knows what the other side has been doing to a large degree. Um, one of the questions is how tough do you get with Putin behind the scenes versus in public in terms of your public rhetoric? We saw Biden sort of holding back when he was asked about that, that question earlier in the week about his comment that Vladimir Putin is a killer. Biden gave an, a long, meandering, awkward answer to that question. And you could tell, uh, you could sort of see the gears turning in Biden's mind as he tried to come up with a formulation for his answer that wasn't going to provoke Vladimir Putin. People who've dealt with Putin in the past tell me that it's, it's vitally important for his ego and for his domestic political situation not to humiliate him on the world stage, to treat him as an equal. Uh, and the psychological effect of that will go a long way in these negotiations. Now, behind the scenes, you can certainly talk a lot tougher than you can maybe on the public stage, Andrew. I want to bring Tom Friedman back into the conversation we could, because, Tom, you have covered President Biden for a very long time, and maybe you can speak to this issue. And I know you haven't necessarily been in, in these kinds of rooms, but to the extent that, that President Biden uh, wants to or feels a need to talk tough uh, with Putin, how does he do it, given what you know about his temperament uh, and sensibility? Well, you know, I traveled with um, uh, now President Biden, then Senator Biden, um, uh, on a trip to Afghanistan, actually, right after 9-11. So I actually got to see him in action a lot. And um, uh, he's, he's someone who's very familiar, you know, with the issues. Uh, he's comfortable talking about foreign affairs. He's had a lot of experience as a senator, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, um, and then vice president. And so he, he knows how this is done. I'm, I'm sure they've gamed it out. And I'm sure they've gone into this meeting, Andrew, saying what are the one, two or three things we must convey to Putin that he cannot leave Geneva without being clear on them. And certainly number one there is the continued hacking of our economy. Um, uh, and to literally say to him, you're vacuuming up all this data. What the hell are you doing with it all? I mean, you know, um, you're still just exporting oil and gas. What are you doing with all these credit card numbers. I mean, are you going on some giant Amazon buy? I mean, what, what are you collecting all this stuff for? And, and, and what do you think he would say, though, Tom, when President Putin, I imagine, has to say, we're not responsible for this. If there are things happening in our country, they're independent actors, or, or whatever kind of response we've heard over the years about these kinds of activities. Yeah, I mean, of regards, course, for example, the cyber, yeah. cybersecurity issues. Yeah, of course, he won't admit any of it. He'll say, me? I mean, all these stories. By the way, Andrew, he loves this. He loves the fact that everyone is accusing him of manipulating America's elections, of uh, attacking our, our government computer systems and the biggest corporations in America. So back home, he loves that. Look at me. The whole world is afraid of me. Because back home, you know, he's facing a flagging economy um, and, and, and lagging popularity. And so anything that makes him look like Biden's peer and equal on the world stage is a good thing. And the reason they denied him a joint press conference afterwards um, is precisely to deny him that. OK, Tom Friedman, uh, thank you for making us smarter this morning. Appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Mike Santoli for sitting in earlier today. You can tune into the show weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And please listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. You guys are clear. Thank you very much. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.